Hello, everybody. Before we dive into today's episode with Ellis Freed, uh, he is the founder of Simple, and it's a functional, functionally added, uh, basically bar brand. Uh, they're going to launch some other products, but uh, they are bringing to market uh, a few different functional uh, improvements to a lot of the foods that we enjoy today. Uh, I will let Ellis get into the details of it, but it was a fun episode. I'm pumped for him. Uh, they are launching their product this summer, so they have not launched yet, but I've added some uh, pieces to the show notes for you to check out their website, get on their mailing. They have a really cool texting list uh, functionality that they, they're working on right now, but you can sign up uh, and get involved and be a part of their launch. Um, and before we dive in today, I want to bring up our main sponsor, Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, expelling vapors, sweat, etc. Routine sells a product called Morning Routine, which is a single-serve packet that contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. Honestly, it's something that I started using on a daily basis. I use it uh, either first thing in the morning or actually now I, I work out in the morning. So sometimes I'll take it um, after I'm done working out when I'm starting my work day. Uh, I'll drink it in the water, in the, you know, my, my shaker of water. I just fill it with 20 ounces of water, pour one packet in, shake it up. Honestly, it does. You feel the benefits of it almost immediately. You just feel hydrated. Uh, you feel like your metabolism is kicking. It, it's fantastic. Uh, routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. They also have some other products uh, such as green superfoods. They have uh, this really cool vitamin D um, like oil droplet you put in your mouth tastes amazing. Apple cider vinegar, gummies, and they also have elderberry gummies and they are in the works coming up with some new products as we speak, I'm sure. If you'd like to check out Routine and get Morning Routine or any of their other products, you can go over to yourroutine.com. I've added that as a link in the show notes and be sure to use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout. Uh, you'll get 30% off your first order, a nice little discount to get you started with routine. All right, everybody, without further ado, our next guest, Ellis Freed. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am pumped today to have Ellis Freed on the podcast, the founder of Simple. And Ellis, I hope I pronounced that correctly, first of all. But secondly, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Do you mind giving everyone a little intro to yourself and then obviously the brand? Yeah. So I started the uh, company Simple a couple of years ago out of my apartment at the University of Michigan. Basically, Simple is a, a clean label functional foods company. Uh, we take effective doses and blends of functional ingredients like adaptogens and nootropics and infuse them into delicious, low sugar products you can take on the go. So our first product line is actually rebranding and relaunching, uh, but launching with a functional 100 calorie bar line. Um, and our first four SKUs will be energy focused, common and muted. We're actually uh, getting them to launch this summer. Exciting. Exciting. Yeah. So um, what let's ba maybe back up. What was the 
driver for a rebrand. And the reason I want to start with that is uh, I personally, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, um, going through my time at RX, obviously like their pivotal moment was a rebrand. So I always think it's really interesting for people to understand like what goes through the mind of the person in charge of, of why you would rebrand uh, a, a brand. Yeah, so we launched actually about six months before the pandemic hit. So we launched with a line of functional bites. Uh, so it was essentially four small bites into each resealable grab and go pouch. Um, and personally, I, I did hundreds of demos myself, talked to thousands of consumers, retailers, distributors, figuring out what was working, what wasn't working. And actually, this product line was going to be our, our second product line um, after our, our bites line. And from a lot of those conversations, we kept getting like, two main things from retailers and two main things from consumers. On the retail side, it was, okay, where does this product go in the store? Um, it was a, a grab and go item. I know, you know, our X bar, you know that the bar aisle very well. Um, so it was a single serve product. So we were supposed to be in the bar aisle, but it was in a grab, it was in a receivable pouch. Yeah, so yeah. it didn't quite fit in the bar aisle. So a lot of confusion with uh, merchandiser and buyers um, at the retail level and at the consumer level, we, our really primary focus is delivering these functional ingredients in a convenient and delicious way. And so by doing that, we want to create the, less, the least friction possible um, in delivering these ingredients. And so our old product um, had about uh, two and a half times the amount of sugar and calories as our current one. And for our, our core target consumers, of especially millennial female consumers, um, the sugar and calories are always a big one that we kept getting. And so it was an opportunity for us to also uh, so we're going to take a step back on the product, but also take a step back on the brand. Um, I built the brand very piecemeal um, as sort of learned as I went. Um, and over the course of, of a year of launching and being in market, you learn a lot of things that you would have done differently if uh, you would have known, if, if you would have known it. Um, and so at the time that we're launching a new product line, it made the most sense to also take a step back from the brand level and think about our messaging and positioning um, and core value props. I'm a lot more and deeper than uh, we did in our first sort of software launch. Got it. Got it. Totally makes sense. And so um, was that, was that a huge decision? And would love, you know, people obviously on here, we talk a lot about going zero to one. So you, you actually had gone basically to one uh, yeah. with, with the product. What was it like to like, do you remember, I guess, maybe the conversation you had with family, friends, coworkers, whoever it may have been, where you kind of made that decision to like, hey, we got to redo this? Because I think for a lot of people, that's kind of like a pivotal moment where some people might have just folded up and been like, this isn't going to work and we're done. Or, we're almost there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. driving ahead and, and trying something that maybe wouldn't have worked long term. So I'd love to know how you kind of thought through that. Yeah, so I, I do credit a lot of it to COVID. So as I mentioned, we launched about six months before COVID happened and we were, we were, we were growing fast. We were going to 300 stores in our first couple of months. We got into Equinox, um, their hotels, Urban Outfitters, Bloomingdale's, Erewhon, um, X Health Spots. We had a lot of real good accounts that basically 80% of them closed overnight. And so right. it got to the point, we didn't have uh, the proper runway to, to really build our e-com platform. And a lot of our retail was uh, shut down for, for a long period of time. And so it, um, with all of that came to a point where we actually ended up merging with another company. Oh, um, so okay. there was another company. Yeah. So it was, it was actually these mini bars, um, infused with CBD. And so they hadn't, they were supposed to get to market literally March of 2020. Um, they had real good investors and backers behind them. Um, people that I've known for the past couple of years and we met sort of came together 
and decided that their product format and our sort of functional uh, angle uh, was a perfect match. So by merging the two companies, we actually merged with his product line, our ingredient focus, and now sort of uh, continuing on as simple as a surviving company, um, but ended up bringing the founder of that into our company as well. Oh, so it was, wow. it, was, it was definitely a decision that involves um, all of our investors, all of our advisors over the course of like six months deciding if we were going to go full, full on into this, um, ended up working out for the better. What was that process like? I mean, that, talk about like the craziness of COVID. I don't yeah. think, to be honest, I've heard a lot of stories about food brand mergers during this whole thing. If, if anything, that's nothing. I have not heard any of those happening, to be honest. Yeah. So I, I think COVID presents a lot of unique opportunities for people. Um, it was definitely something that we probably wouldn't have entertained prior to, to COVID. Uh, but we, COVID definitely hurt, hurt our business quite a bit. Um, and so kind of, kind of to your point, like we, we had our ups and downs during the, especially last summer, 2020. Um, and the actually investors of this other company that we merged with, um, I, knew, I knew them pretty well. And we always sort of wanted to do something together. And it sort of, uh, sort of spun into this um, over the course of about six months of, of uh, conversations, uh, both again with our investors, their, their stakeholders and whatnot. And the, the bottom line was they had a great team. Um, we had really, myself was running the team, great brand and product um, and sort of a longer term vision, especially with the CBD, their, their entire business was centered around CBD. There was uh, a lot of uh, regulatory issues with retail at the time, a lot of regulatory issues with online at the time also, and sort of not a lot of clarity around that. Um, and our broader sort of functional landscape, um, I think was, was a more appealing value proposition and, and one that we could build um, a long lasting brand around, um, and a lot more white space, I think in, in this category also. Yeah. And it's interesting because, uh, the space that you're going to play in, um, I think there's yeah, to your point, there's a huge runway for it. I've heard of like inklings of, of brands thinking about getting into it, but honestly, you're the first brand that I feel like has a real like brand design and focus solely around it. Would you mind giving everyone just kind of, would love to know where it came from? Like, where, where did you think that like, bites or bars needed to have uh or there I guess where there was a white space for a brand uh to have you know boosted components to it yeah so i was super into functional ingredients over the past like half dozen years i was never really into the emergencies or um sort of sort of the the, the quicker fix type products or caffeine or five-hour energy shots or anything like that so i was always sure. into more of like a plant-based sort of healthier lifestyle so i would sort of discover these powders and started taking superfood and adaptogen type powders every day. And it, and it really worked. And so wanting to find a way to get those benefits on the go. And for me, I, I also ate an energy or a snack bar every single day. And so looking at the landscape, powders and supplements is pretty, pretty crowded, um, even over the past couple of years, even more so now. Um, beverages has become increasingly crowded in the, in the functional space. And in, in the bar space, there really wasn't anything that delivered on clean label, uh, real doses of functional ingredients and so not just sprinkling some ingredients here and there, um, right. like real doses of these ingredients um, that also tasted really good. And the bar category, obviously $20 billion category. I eat one every day. Um, apparently a lot of people do if, if uh, given RX's success and, and whatnot. Um, and so that the category can use um, a product like this that was delivering real doses of functional ingredients, 100% plant-based, no gluten, low sugar, low calorie, um, that could satisfy, satisfy both a, a quick everyday snack and your daily dose of functional ingredients. 
Love it. And then how did you kind of narrow in? I feel like there's a lot of functional ingredients. How did you narrow in basically on like four really important ones? So it wasn't as much so on the ingredients uh, for me as, as more so as the benefits. Um, so looking at unique use occasions on from morning to night, um, energy, obviously looking at the energy category. And we weren't even really looking at a bar specific, but energy category in general, huge category, um, immunity, everything going on, not just with COVID, but getting sick in general, the rise of probiotics, um, vitamin C. And that whole category has exploded and there's really not, nothing in the bar category that satisfies um, that. Calm, you see the rise in like CBD and ashwagandha and all these different ingredients that, that lead to greater calm. Um, and the last one being focus. Obviously productivity is that, is that sort of fourth one that everyone's looking to biohack or, or nail down their, their, and improve their own productivities. So it's really, it's really more of the benefit outcomes and then sort of backing into the ingredients that can uh, satisfy those outcomes. And if we're looking out from morning to night, we, we try to create each product to have a specific uh, time of day and use occasion uh, to create the, the less, least amount of confusion for the customer as possible. Got it. Okay. Love it. And then like, it seems like obviously you guys have a very clean label. Um, would you mind giving everyone just kind of a background into like, how do you even like start? Like obviously on here, we talk a lot about going zero to one. Yeah. Um, you guys have a lot of what I would think have to become expensive products uh, to go into it, this finished product. Um, how has that process been? Just trying to, you know, acquire the best ingredients that like check all these boxes that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So backtrack even uh, a couple of years, this was a product that I started out of my own kitchen with, with very, no food scientists, no chefs uh, trying to make something happen. I, I had no personal chef background. And so it was about three or 400 different recipes. I've coop up in a blender in my own apartment. So there was, there was a good amount of trial and error, um, both in sourcing the ingredients and actually making the product. Um, fast forward to our current product, we have an expert food scientist team, expert um, uh, chef team that's creating these products in tandem with myself instead of just myself okay. uh, yeah. making these together. And they also help us a lot with procurement. And so looking at this functional ingredient landscape, there's a lot of uh, red flags, both in terms of uh, potency and effectiveness, and also um, sort of regulation, whether it's online or, or in big box stores like Whole Foods and Fresh Market. So not every ingredient that you see in supplement form is allowed in ready to eat food. Um, CBD, obviously, like one of the best examples that we actually stripped from our products specifically because of that. Um, but it, it goes deeper in, even into nootropics. There's a lot of uh, regulation issues around things like Bacopa or Lion's Mane and, and stuff that you might see fairly often in powder form, but not as um, widely accepted in food. So all of our ingredients are grass certified, which is generally regarded as safe. And that's by the FDA. So that we basically had to go through our list of targeted ingredients and then narrow it down based on what both uh, large retailers would accept and also the FDA would recognize. And then there's the co-packer. So the co-packer also doesn't want to be responsible for ingredients that aren't grass or that aren't uh, certified by the FDA is safe. So then that's that third level of, okay, now I've narrowed down the ingredients that are acceptable. And now we have to figure out how to make these taste good. I don't know if you've tried these uh, sort of powders yourself, but most of them taste like crap. So yeah, yeah. Most, to, most functional powders that I've tried not, do not taste good. You're kind of chugging not, them down or you're mixing them <laughs> with fruit or something, right? Yeah. So that was another big hurdle that we worked on for several months, making these taste good and also being super clean label, plant-based, gluten-free, all, all that type of stuff. Um, so over the course of about six months, 
gotten, we actually just finished our final recipes um, a couple of weeks ago and I guess biased, but they, they taste amazing. Um, so I'm excited for people to try them soon. Yeah. Well, congrats, man. That's exciting. It's exciting to like Thank have that you. breakthrough, right? I mean, that's, that had to have been a lot of iterations, a lot of different yeah, learning. And you get a lot of product, you get a lot of samples and iterations that taste like crap. And you're like, all right, there's no way this is uh, we can get this amount of these ingredients to taste good in this little hundred calorie bar. Um, so to get the final product done and scaled up um, was relieving. Yeah. No, I bet. I bet. Um, what was like? You know, you had a you had a crazy year, especially going through COVID and going through a merger. Was there any like major takeaways that, you know, or a hurdle, I guess, either one um, that you could have the audience could take away from this episode of just, you know, a lesson learned if you think back to your year in COVID on, on what ended up, you know, working in your favor, that was a really big challenge. Yeah. So I would say something that didn't work in our favor that we're pivoting now and, and uh, putting a lot of emphasis on is the direct to consumer channel and owning your customers we saw very clearly when 80% of our retailers closed, we didn't own those customers and that was shut off. If we had built our own online customer base and had loyal followers on our own website that we invested that time and money into, we would have been able to keep those customers throughout COVID. Um, and even if stores closed, we would be able to sort of rely on that channel. And so as we go into this uh, rebrand and, and relaunch, uh, we're focused about 90% of our sales efforts onto our uh, direct-to-consumer online subscription model um, website. And so we are still launching with a couple hundred of our uh, retailers that we had uh, prior, but really narrowing in on our direct consumer uh, customers, building that retention, building up sort of the repeat purchase. And that also uh, influenced our our product decision. This product, especially 100 calorie functional bar, if you have, let's say our energy product, for example, has about it as much caffeine as an espresso shot from green tea and ginseng in each product. It's a product that you can eat every single day on subscription that can really succeed in the direct-to-consumer channel. Whereas our other product, uh, maybe 250 calories, 14, 15 grams of sugar, um, it, was, it was a bit harder uh, product to eat every single day. And so when we're thinking about direct-to-consumer, direct-to-consumer doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for every product, um, especially. And so when we're thinking about our, our channel strategy, Think about a product that all can also work on that channel. Um, so I, I think owning your customer as long as and as much as possible, especially early on, uh, was was our biggest takeaway. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I've talked about it on here a few times that COVID opened the door for like two situations. One, people who like were ready to go and either were already on it or were working to have a better e-commerce, you know, ecosystem. Yeah, it was a huge explosion um, in Q2 and Q3 of last year. And then there were brands where like, if you didn't have some of that figured out yet, or maybe it wasn't a focus, um, it was a big scramble. Like it was, you know, people were like, shit, how else can we get stuff into people's hands when they're stuck at home? Um, So yeah, I think it's interesting. E-commerce has seen an an incredible amount of growth in the last year and a half. Uh, And it seems like it's going to continue to go that way. So I think that's a, a smart way to, to relaunch for sure. Are you guys, just thinking about D to C or are you thinking about, you know, Amazon and some other platforms or how do you think about the entire e-commerce landscape? Yeah. And so this was, this was another thing that we ran into is spreading ourselves too thin, too fast on our initial launch. So we were doing specialty retail and direct to consumer and Amazon and getting into big grocery all at once with, with limited capital. 
And so to do all of these channels well simultaneously at launch is very, very difficult. So for us, really focusing in on one or two channels for our first six, 12 months, um, being direct consumer and being specialty retail. So think um, Equinox, Erewhon, Earthbar, um, a lot of like customer discovery places. They're almost revenue generating marketing platforms is, is really how we look at them. Um, and brand building accounts can help build our brand with us. Um, and then we, we are scheduled to do um, select tests with uh, larger retail partners. So basically an East Coast and a West Coast uh, retail chain in the national organic space that we can really prove out velocity, build up those um, sort of loyal customers in these accounts and then grow from there. If, if you're launching with uh, 100, 100 stores of this chain, 100 stores of that chain, and you're also online, you're also Amazon, like you're not gonna do anything well. So if we can do one or two channels really well in our first 12 months, um, that'll be a success for us. That makes sense. And you can kind of hone in all your focus on on those key channels that you're launching. And I think that's that's also smart. That's a great way to redo it. Yeah, and each channel also requires a lot of attention, a lot of energy. So like if, if you're not if you're not giving your your hundred percent to your online channel, it it it's not going to to grow as quickly and as fast as you might want it. And if you're sort of half assing your retail partners you're not really building up a great case starting a great uh, platform to, to expand. So if you can, you can really now one or two platforms. Um, and then obviously we're, we're not um, sort of zeroing out like Amazon and stuff like that. We definitely want to grow into other channels in the future, but our first 12 months, we primary, uh, primarily direct to consumer. Got it. Love it. That's great. Um, I want, next I was with the question I had was around um, it, like, I guess, bootstrapping versus raising capital. You mentioned that you guys do have some investors and obviously through a merger that, you know, has changed a little bit, but uh, early on, you know, back when you first started kicking this off, um, I always think there's like, you know, two routes people go. It's either like you try to do um, the bootstrapping way if you can, number one, and number two, if you can't just like being extremely scrappy and probably growing a lot slower. And then some people go down the, you know, it's raised capital. I feel like I, you know, I've talked to quite a few founders on here and there's definitely not a right or wrong way to do it. There's, I mean, there's a million different ways you can go about that. Do you remember early on, like kind of how you thought through that whole component of starting a business and, and what you honestly ended up doing, I guess, in the end was simple. Yeah. So I, which I can say it was, it was more well thought out um, in the beginning than, than it was. So I started this as a side project at Michigan when I was a second semester junior. So I was going to an internship with JP Morgan over the summer. I was like a finance econ major, really uh, didn't think about having my own business, um, at least in the near term. And it was something I started sort of in my, in my kitchen on the side, ended up sort of pitching it to business plan competitions and grants and awards. And so I ended up winning about $50,000 in grants and awards from the business school before I graduated. Wow. And oh, so the- good. Yeah, so the Ross Business School has a ton of programs and grants and awards and business plan competitions that you can apply for. So we, we, we sort of won almost all of them by the time I graduated. And so when it's time to decide what I was going to do full time, I'm going to either go back to, to do finance full time in New York or uh, work on Simple full time. It's actually called Protein Bits before Simple. Um, okay, okay. Love it. And it ended up deciding to pursue Simple full time, but sort of, sort of a caveat. Uh, the Ross Business School did invest $100,000 after I graduated for, uh, to incentivize me to do it full time. So the wow. Ross Business School was actually our first investor. 
Um, oh, so they actually want, they were like, no, we will, this is a great idea. You should focus on this full time. Here's some money to kind of give yeah. you a start. Yeah. Cause that's pretty I, cool. I right out of school with no food or beverage background to, to dive into a, a category. I think this difficult with no backing, I, I think is, is a, a tough, tough route. Um, and, and I think it is a category, especially at, at sort of my age being young that if you can go in full time and spend all of your energy learning everything, the ins and outs of the industry, um, and really spending your full time on it. I, I don't think you can get that from doing it part time. I think it could also just take longer. Yeah. Um, so basically with that, we worked with a, a great branding agency. I did a lot of the product formulation stuff myself, did a couple uh, like soft launch, go to market type stuff, but like in like a dozen sort of stores here and there, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, and then I ended up did, uh, I did end up raising a $500,000 angel round uh, when I actually moved to New York with about 10,000 bags. Um, and just started selling them door to door. Um, and from, from that sort of minor success, I ended up raising a half million dollars on that round. Um, and now we're actually raising a seed round right now for, for this new launch. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So you've kind of been yeah. in that investing game for our raising capital game, I should say for some. Yeah. But our first year when I, when I raised the first hundred thousand from Michigan, it was super bootstrappy. Like brand agency costs a lot. Um, a lot of, uh, developing products and test runs with the co-packers it costs a lot so like at at the end of that before we really got to market it was pretty pretty bootstrapped uh, i don't want to say i'm not sure bootstrapped because we, we did have um a little bit of backing there but i think even even if you are uh backed by investors whether it's angels or vcs you still have to have that sort of scrappiness and, and not being wasteful and all that type of stuff Oh yeah, for sure. Do you, do you have any suggestions for anyone who's was kind of like would have been in your shoes today listening to this? Um, just like what either things you, you wish you would have done different or maybe just the route you went if it was, if it worked well. Yeah. So I, I do want to say if I were to do it again, I would do things differently, which is what we're doing now, but without knowing those things, like looking back, I don't think I would have done anything different because I didn't, I didn't know any better. Sure. Um, but I think knowing that it's going to be a long game and it's not, you're not, you're not getting into this and, and growing super fast. And you look at all these companies that, oh, on, on day one, they're, I see a million ads for them and they're in Whole Foods and they're in this or that. They probably do have a, an experienced team behind them um, or, or some years in the industry that, that they've put in. Um, so I think just knowing that it can be a long-term game and just like talking to as many people as you can. I know probably talk to, close to a thousand people like in the industry that not everything's helpful, but I would say 90% plus is, and maybe you learn one thing about um, your subscription app pl platform that you should be using or what not to do when emailing Whole Foods. I think there's just a lot of a big learning curve, um, whether you're in the industry or not. And if you can get like an MVP type product that might not be final, but it's good enough where it tastes good enough and it looks good enough that people can be excited about it taking that first step is super important because you, you can be working on perfecting it forever. Uh, we're obviously still not anywhere close to perfect. And we're just now getting to our sort of phase, almost like branding 3.0 at this point. Um, but if we didn't get to branding 1.0 and 2.0, we wouldn't have got to 3.0. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, the I, one thing that comes to mind too, you know, as you, as you've kind of gone through these different phases so far of, of simple, one thing that you've gone through that I don't think anyone else I've had on here has is going through a merger. So 
what was that? I, you, you've hit it on already a little bit, but you know, what were some key takeaways there? Learning lessons. I can, you know, I guess I can, I have experience now professionally kind of going through one at a, at a, you know, a large company. Um, but curious what it was like for, you know, really two brands who were, I don't want to say struggling, but going through a really tough year and a tough time yeah. and realize like there were synergies by coming together. That's very different than most mergers even. Yeah. So definitely not anywhere near the level of, of the Kellogg RX merger. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're both in unique positions um, where we had a lot of good things going for us. They had a lot of good things going for them, but we were each missing a couple pieces. Um, part of that was team. Part of that was access to capital. And it, it was uh, sort of an organic type of opportunity. Our first conversation had nothing to do with coming together whatsoever. Um, it was, what are you guys doing? This is what we're doing. Is there any way we can like sort of help each other or learn from you guys? You can learn from us. Oh, um, really? sort so of it was more add, of like a knowledge share to get started. Absolutely. And sort of over the course of a couple months of talking, started talking more and more and, and saw there is, uh, they, they ended up loving sort of our brand direction. I ended up loving their product. And we both had our own relationships with suppliers and investors and, and uh, retailers, manufacturers that could be useful for, for each other. Um, and instead of going at this our, our separate ways and getting through COVID, this was back in August. So COVID wasn't really going away anytime soon at that time, um, sort of come together. It was definitely not the uh, complexity of uh, a Kellogg RX at that point. And obviously very different because we, we, were very, we were both very new. It was almost like introducing a new brand to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking what he learned, what we learned, um, and, and coming together. And now it's, it's worked out super well. Basically I'm coming, I'm leading as the CEO, the founder of the other company, uh, which is formerly known as Fido. Um, his name is Will, and he is now coming on as our COO. Um, so sort of also different skill sets, uh, from my side, more of the sales and marketing and, uh, sort of the, the fundraising side on Will's side, he, he's awesome on our supply chain and manufacturing ops sort of down the line. So now I can really focus what I'm good at. He's where he can really focus what he's good at. Um, and I think a much stronger uh, team going back to market. That's awesome. It's it's interesting to see companies um, that are, you know, it's funny. Lately, I've been seeing a lot more of this, I feel like, through conversations of my own. It, it's cool when you find two people that help basically lead an organization. And they really are made up of two really, like, completely different either backgrounds or just what they're good at or want to focus on. Um you know, when you have two founders who want to do the exact same thing, it can be a little tough, right? And especially because you probably both have ideas that you want to kind of lead with for every single yeah. thing that comes up in the business versus kind of like going and doing your own things, making sure you're both executing and you come together for the better of the company. Uh, so that's really cool. That's awesome that you guys were able to find, you know, a partner that also was led by someone who had different skills than yourself. Yeah. And, and I think obviously a start, it's, it's, I'm still involved in the ops every day. He's still involved in like the sales and marketing every day. So, so there is a lot of overlap um, as I'm sure there will be for a long time, sure, um, but sure. it is nice to, to each have our own, to have a lead on each task um, and obviously fill in when, when the other person needs it and support and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it worked out well. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. It sounds like, you know, from the, this, this episode so far, I mean, you, you've been through uh, a lot of learning lessons and I'm sure you're really excited to like be coming uh, out the other end of COVID and 
not just coming out, but now coming out with a whole new brand strategy, a whole new, you know, components of the leadership team, um, your new look and feel yeah. and product. I mean, it's gotta be really exciting. Yeah. Totally new look, um, totally new branding, totally new product, uh, but still the same thesis that we had in the beginning of bringing these functional ingredients and foods into sort of the, the mainstream consumer in a sort of a convenient and, and tasteful way. So I, I think keeping that as our North star helped as we sort of made all of these different changes, but not going away from, um, from our original thesis of starting the brand in the first place. Right. Got it. And, and so uh, with that, I mean, you're launching with bars. Um, do you have plans to ever bring bites back or do you, you don't have to share anything, but if you have <laughs> any other teasers for the listeners on like what could be coming down the line as other things that you're going to add function to, I think this is a space that's going to see massive growth in the next decade. Yeah, so no plans of the bites yet, but again, so our first four functions that we're launching this summer, energy, focus, calm, and immunity. Uh, we'll definitely have a couple more functions in the pipeline. Think of the moment you wake up to the moment you sleep, um, how many different sort of use occasions there are during that day, and our goal is to hit on all of them. Um, so we have a couple products in the pipeline now. We'll probably likely introduce another product next year, another function, um, thinking of sort of the, the latter half of the day. Um, and yeah, so that's about all, all I can share right now, but we do have, uh, four products almost ready to go that can't wait to share. Love it. That's super exciting. Um, this is a new question. I have like a group of questions. I love to ask founders towards the end of the show. Um, now that you've gone through, you know, the experience of building something, merging with someone else, and now leading this new organization, um, could you ever, ever, ever see yourself working for, like working for a big company? Like, could you ever see there be a, a day come where you would sell this company and go work for someone else? Um, I could see working for a larger organization, yes. Um, it, it depends on the hierarchy, I think. Um, I think a lot of organizations these days are adopting or, or creating teams that sort of run more entrepreneurial, that sort of run themselves, but are a part of a larger organization. I think something like that's attractive. I think that's something that'll continue growing. If you even look at something like Kellogg with their 1894, their, their venture arm, uh, PepsiCo is something similar. So I think more and more, Goldman Sachs is something similar. So I think more and more companies will create these smaller sort of almost independent organizations that can sort of run as their own businesses, but still have the backing and the finance and the resources of a larger company. I think that should continue to grow um, and, and would be attractive if <laughs> If, if that day ever came. There you go. No, I love it. I love it. I always, I always think it's interesting. Like once you, uh, you know, get a sense of being your own boss and an entrepreneur, yeah. like if there's ever any like look over your shoulder of like, oh, I wonder what's still out there, you know, working for a company or if it's just like, now that you know yeah. how to do it, if it's something you'd always want to do. Hopefully we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Love it. No, love it. Love it. Um, the question that I love to ask every single founder, because I think leading a company, especially in the food space um, there's just, and you hit on it between you and your COO, there's so many different things happening all the time. And and especially trying to launch something, there's so many moving pieces. Uh, knowing that, what do you use to, you know, track towards goals uh, and really plan your days and just get shit done? Are you a pen and paper kind of guy? Do you have apps you use? Like, what is like your tool set to just get things done? Yeah, so I, I tried the apps. I, I did try the asanas of the world to, to try to narrow on every little thing and, and document it. it. It was almost counterintuitive, I, I think more so because we're a small team. I think once you grow into a larger 
start maybe 20, 30 people. Some of these apps might make more sense. We still, st I still stick to notes and Google Sheets um, and Google Docs so we can share it amongst the team. Um, basically every morning or every night before I go to sleep, we'll create a, a priority list of items that must be done tomorrow, could be done tomorrow, or, or if you have time, can do tomorrow. Oh, um, but I'll do that in, in just like Apple Notes. Um, it syncs to my phone and my, and my computer. So wherever I am, I can have that. And then across our team, uh, Google Sheets. So like using Google Drive and just having like a launch plan. So we'll have like Gantt charts or production charts for each, each uh, uh, sort of function. So for our, our operation, our production, we have our own sort of Google Sheet for that that tracks every single item that's happening, every ingredient of how it's being, when it's being shipped, when it's being delivered, what data packaging is going to arrive. Um, so it gets sort of pretty granular on that level. Um, and then sort of a higher hierarchy sort of launch plan of like, and obviously we're, we're going to launch. So it's, it's launch plan right now, but even as we grow uh, specific milestones that we want to reach and what are the key things that we need to hit. And then within that, we'll create sort of separate sheets uh, to go more granular uh, or granular, but it's, it's nice to have like a, sort of two separate ones. This one to track like our, our, our big milestones and this is what we need to hit, this is what we need to do on a, on a bigger level. And then to stay organized, really need to write every single thing down. Because um, if, if it's not written down for me, it's probably not getting done. Yeah. Um, and I use a superhuman email app, which is uh, incredibly helpful too. What, yeah, what is superhuman? I, you, when you emailed me, I saw that and I was, I was gonna ask you about it today. Yeah, so it's just a way to keep track of outstanding emails. So if it's, uh, you get 100 emails a day, and, and like every time you finish an email, you can mark it as done, and it'll go into your done folder. So you don't see it on your, your top of your inbox. So you don't have to scroll through to see what you have to respond to. You can either mark it done or mark it as remind me. So if it's something that I, I get emailed today, but I don't need to respond till Thursday, you just do remind me on Thursday. It'll resend it to you on Thursday, clear out of your inbox for now. So by the end of the day, if you're gonna have a zero email, uh, zero emails in your inbox, um, that's that's the goal. Yeah, so it, it, it. it keeps track of things that you need to respond to um, versus things that you can sort of respond to and, and you're done with. Oh, that's really cool. Got it, love it. Love those little hacks that are always good for people who are just trying to optimize. Yeah, no, it's helpful. Um, this one is, uh, I always say book, but it can be book, podcast, just source of knowledge. For everyone listening, um, what is one source of knowledge you would suggest uh, to the audience? Um, good question. So I listen to Brand Builder a lot. Um, I think I've probably listened to every episode at this point. Um, and I think a, a big thing of that as we're sort of growing growing our brand it is always staying true, sort of how I mentioned earlier, true to your North Star, true to your true brand pillars, and then building off that. And I think all the brands on there have done an incredible job. As you grow, so many things change, but if you can keep your, your value props the same, your uh, brand pillars the same, your sort of vision and, and mission, sort of always coming back to that, um, I think that was super helpful. So like as we we're going through all of our brand guides and our um, building all that out for the new simple, um, that's definitely something I listen to almost, uh, almost daily, um, to make sure we didn't stray too far. That's great. That's awesome. I'm sure people will love that. I think, uh, that's a great one just because there's just lots of different things you can learn from that for sure. Yeah. Um, last one and the most important one, how can listeners, uh, follow along and get up and not really get a hold of, but follow along in your journey and how can they follow and get a hold of Simple? And then maybe just one last reminder to when the brand is planning on launching. 
Yeah, so you can uh, find us livesimple.com, simple spelled S-M-P-L.com. Uh, and so we have our landing page right now, leave your email. Um, you'll get notified when we launch. You can also text us, uh, 5106, text simple. Um, nice. So that's another way you can get a hold of us. We, we answer within, within minutes. Um, so we are building out our, our uh, SMS text to order and communication platform um, as we speak. And so if you subscribe either text or email or follow us on Instagram, uh, live simple as well. Um, that's where you'll get at updates and you follow me on LinkedIn. My name is Ellis Freed um, and we'll post everything on, on one of those couple channels. And we are launching um, end of summer. Love it. The SMS thing I think is huge. I, I always tip the hat to people who are tackling that up front. Personally, I'm, I'm super bullish on just that becoming, I feel like as email gets more and more overwhelming your text yeah. thread can if you sign up for too many of those but if you if you do a good job of like not overdoing it it's a i love the brands like every now and then i get a reminder through text it's so easy to just open a text and either you like hit the link go to what the, we're kind of, kind of the, the hold they're sending you down or not it doesn't it just doesn't feel as overwhelming as your inbox does yeah so, so keeping it not not sort of spammy um especially their subscription will remind consumers uh two to three days before the subscription is coming they can edit add products, cancel their subscription, skip their subscription, uh, just with a, just with one text. Um, so as awesome. we build out a subscription model, uh, we think the texting is super important. Cause I, I've, I've had a lot of subscriptions. They're, they're sort of a nightmare of, of figuring out, oh, I wanna add, I wanna switch product. I want the energy, now I want the immunity or uh, I actually have too much. So I wanna skip and having to go into the platform and, and do it. Uh, you just text us and, and we'll respond and fix it for you. Um, That's so cool. That's great. Yeah, so we're, we're building that out too, as we speak. That's fantastic. Well, good for you guys. It sounds like, you know, this rebrand is giving you the opportunity to like come out even stronger. Um, yeah. A lot of the, the, like, that's something that people who haven't done it, I don't think people realize how much work goes into launching something like that, but I think it's just going to pay dividends long-term to have that ease of use and, and, you know, coming through the phone that way, I think it's going to be impactful for you guys. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to get you some bars when we launch. Um, there we go. You post it. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Well, Ellis, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This was a blast and I'm pumped for you and we'll keep an eye out when you guys do launch. Maybe after you kind of get through the haze of yep. the craziness, we can have you back on and uh, talk more about, you know, the brand and how things are going. Perfect. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate awesome. it, Shane. Thanks, man. Cool. Right, well, have a good soon. one. See ya.